Mystery of the Stone Tiger Chapter 3 Good News and Bad For several seconds, Louise and Elise just stared at each other. The warning note fluttered to the floor. With trembling fingers, Elise picked it up. Louise, she said in a whisper, what do you think this means? One of two things. Either you have an enemy or someone wants to rob you, Louise replied. Enemy? Mother and I have no enemies. At least, not that I know of, and I'm sure my father didn't. Elise broke off with a startled gasp. Oh, maybe the note has something to do with the prowler in the museum. A prowler in the museum? echoed Louise. Yes, our curator, Mr. Pryor, told us some intruder evidently has entered the museum at night. Elise looked baffled. But if anyone wants to steal from us, why can't he do it while we're home? Secretly, Louise wondered if the black-robed ghost was the prowler who had entered the museum. Aloud, she said, The only guess I can make now is that the job this person wants to do will take a long time. He probably intends to look for something hidden in the museum. With a deep sigh, Elise said, Oh, I hope it has nothing to do with my father's exhibits, she added hopefully. Perhaps whatever this person wants was hidden there long ago. Possibly, Louise agreed. Will you go away then? Of course not, Elise answered. My father brought me up to be brave, and I won't walk out on the museum. It's his life work. Mother wouldn't either, even though she's not well. Suddenly, Elise looked toward the ceiling. The girls had heard footsteps on the floor above. That's Mother, Elise explained, adding, Louise, she mustn't know anything about this warning. You'll keep it a secret, won't you? Of course. Elise emphasized that her mother was in no condition to have this added worry. The doctor had said that she must have complete rest and that any disturbing news should be kept from her. Mother isn't able to travel, so we couldn't go on a trip even if we wanted to. Suddenly, Elise's mood changed. Smiling, she said, Louise, do you know I am engaged? Oh, how wonderful! Best wishes! Who is he? His name is Keith Bartlett, and he lives here in town. He's a reporter and a feature writer for the Oak Falls News. Louise jumped from her chair and hugged her friend. Wait until Jean hears this. She'll be so excited. When are you getting married? The young woman's lighthearted mood vanished quickly. Our wedding depends on Keith's job. Right now, we're both worried about it. There's a battle going on down at the paper. Keith has offered to buy it from the owner, Mr. Archer. She told Louise that Keith had inherited some money and planned to use it to purchase the Oak Falls News. But Mr. Archer is rather a strong-minded old man and has always taken great pride in what he prints. I guess he doesn't think Keith will keep the paper up to its present standards. Anyway, he's opposed to the idea. I love the news, said Louise, and Harriet sends it to Jean and me at school. We wouldn't miss it for anything. Elise went on to say that Keith Bartlett had promised Mr. Archer he would maintain the paper on the same high level. In line with this, he was trying to have the ghost stories and scares minimized in the news so as not to make them appear cheap and sensational. Louise listened intently as Elise continued. Mr. Archer received an offer from a big newspaper syndicate. 
Two men from it are in town and are trying to induce him to sell out. Oddly enough, he listens, which he never has done before. And probably they're offering more money than Keith, Louise guessed. Yes, but Keith has investigated the syndicate and is sure that under its direction the Oak Falls news would no longer be such a fine print this lovely old town should have. That's something even worse, Elise went on. Somebody, and Keith suspects one of both of these newspaper syndicate men, is trying to poison Mr. Archer's mind against Keith. It's an awful mess, but my fiancé is not the type to give up without a fight. Louise glanced at the warning note in Lisa's hand. Do you think that this demand for you and your mother to take a trip might have anything to do with the newspaper business and not the museum intruder? I hadn't thought of that, Elise replied. It might, but it won't do any good. I'm not leaving Keith. In turn, she asked Louise what explanation she had for the note being left at the Dana house. The only reason I can think of, said Louise, is that the person who wrote it probably overheard either Cora Apple or someone else say that Jean and I like to solve mysteries, and he hopes to deter us from interfering in this. Whoever this strange person is, he doesn't know you two, Elise said, smiling. As she was speaking, the front doorbell rang. Elise answered, and Louise heard her say, Keith? Hi! Has something gone wrong? Nothing, but another session with Mr. Archer. He's not only stubborn, but now acting strangely. Elise came into the living room, followed by Keith. He was tall with an athletic build and dark, slightly wavy hair. His brown eyes, Louise guessed, were usually happy and twinkling. Now, she thought they seemed troubled. Elise has often told me about you and your sister, he said after the introductions were made. You've been having a happy time in your western trip. Yes, we have, said Louise, and plenty of excitement, too, Elise laughed. The girls just arrived home last night, and more excitement started for them right in Oak Falls. She held up the warning note for her fiancé to read. This was left mysteriously at the Dana's house, she told him, and handed over the note. Keith read the note, and his expression became grim. I don't like this, he said. Any idea who might have sent it to you, Elise? Not the slightest, and Louise doesn't know either. Unless, said Louise, it was the black-robed ghost. What? Keith exclaimed. Louise told how Applecore had been startled by the ghost near the kitchen window of their home. Cora hid the key, and we have a hunch that the ghost found it and unlocked the door. That could be, Keith agreed. I'm sorry you Danas are involved so far. This strange character has done anything but scare people. But I think that if he doesn't accomplish his purpose, he may become more dangerous and really harm someone. Louise now revealed her theory that the museum intruder might be the ghost. Keith concluded this was likely, since the black-robed figure had been seen on the estate grounds at night. Elise shivered. And of course, people have seen other odd things around town. She turned to her fiancé. Mother mustn't hear a word about this warning note. You're right, Keith promised, to keep it a secret. In fact, he added, 
Not one outside of the few who already know about the note should hear of it except the police. Louise drew a long breath. I'll speak to Cora as soon as I get home. But there's no telling how many people she may have already told. She's a terrific gossip. Suddenly Elise turned to Louise. Would you, Dana's, try solving this mystery of the black-robed ghost, not only for Mother's sake and Keith's and mine, but for everyone else in town? Louise smiled, and now confided to the engaged couple that she and her sister had already resolved to undertake the challenge. Elise brightened immediately. Oh, wonderful. I just know you'll have success. Keith also looked encouraged. Great, he said. Let us know if we can be of any help. I will, Louise laughed. If you find any clues, be sure to get in touch with us. The young detective then explained that she was a bit anxious about Jean and thought she should go home to see her. Back at the Dana house, she found her sister sitting up in bed, talking to Aunt Harriet and demanding a large luncheon. That's encouraging to hear, said Miss Dana. Suppose the three of us eat right here. Wonderful idea, said Jean. A few minutes later, Louise and Cora carried the trays upstairs. Mmm, cried Jean. Chicken salad, hot rolls, sliced tomatoes, and chocolate ice cream with angel cake. Mmm, not bad for a starter, she added with a grin. While the Danas were eating, Louise told about her visit to the Hillary home. And guess what? Elise is engaged to an absolutely wonderful guy. His name is Keith Bartlett. Then Louise sobered and told about the trouble at the newspaper, the warning note, and the museum intruder. Aunt Harriet looked greatly disturbed, and Jean frowned, saying, This mystery is turning out to be a double-header. She gave an impatient sigh. I want to get out of this bed and start sleuthing around the Hillary estate right now. Not until tomorrow, Aunt Harriet said firmly. Before we go downtown or to the museum or anywhere else, Louise spoke up. I think we should look for clues in our own home. After all, the person we're looking for was here. Louise's next sentence was lost in a sudden blood-curdling scream from the first floor. Oh, what happened? cried Miss Dana. Louise dashed from the room, followed by her aunt. The two rushed pell-mell down the stairs. Chapter 4 Midnight Crash Cora Apple was stumbling from the Dana's living room. There was terror in her eyes. What happened? Louise asked her quickly. The maid did not answer. Staring straight ahead, almost as if she were sightless, the frightened woman made a beeline for the kitchen. Louise and Aunt Harriet followed. At once, Cora collapsed onto a chair and folded her head in her arms. She began to weep hysterically. What is it? Aunt Harriet prodded. We can't do anything until you explain. Cora began to mumble incoherently. She twisted nervously in her seat, and the only words that the Danas could make out were, That ghost is back. Oh, he's put a spell on us. He'll kill all of us. Unable to draw anything further from Cora, both Louise and her aunt hurried back to the living room. They saw the large couch had been pulled away from the wall. On the floor behind it lay a black turban and a small green snake. These must have been what frightened Cora, said Louise. But where, where did they come from? Aunt Harriet gasped. 
As Louise leaned over to pick up the snake, Miss Dana cried out, Don't touch it! Louise laughed. Aunt Harriet, this isn't a real snake. Miss Dana looked a little sheepish, though relieved. Even so, she said, it may have been poisonous. Her niece admitted that this was possible. Cora might be right in thinking that the black-robed ghost left both objects. Louise picked up the turban, which was a cheap, machine-made version of the lovely headgear worn in India. India again! Aunt Harriet went directly to the telephone and called the police headquarters. Sergeant Renly, who had been assigned to the case, was on overtime duty. He came on the wire. I'll be right over, he said. Meanwhile, Louise had gone into the kitchen and had finally managed to get a lucid explanation from Cora about her discovery. The maid said that she had pulled out the couch, intending to mop the floor behind it. Seeing the turban had not disturbed her, for she had concluded that one of the Danas accidentally might have dropped it there. But when I picked it up and that horrible snake fell out, my heart did a flip-flop. I don't care if the snake isn't real. It looks real. Oh, what are we going to do? Lately, every time I've come to this house, something awful happens. Miss Dana, who had been listening from the doorway, said kindly, Cora, how would you like to go home for the rest of the day? The police are coming to see about the turban and snake, and I know they'll want to talk to you, but after that you may leave. Oh, thank you, ma'am, Cora said gratefully. I don't mean to be a scaredy cat, Miss Dana, but you've got to admit what's been going on here just ain't right. It is unusual, Aunt Harriet agreed, but, she added, with an effort of reassurance, I'm sure the girls will solve the mystery soon. Louise returned to the living room for the turban and the snake, which she picked up in a paper towel. She carried them upstairs to show Jean. The sister could find no clues to indicate their owner's identity, but both girls felt sure that the wearer had removed the black turban containing the snake while arranging the eerie display in the window the night before. He probably laid it on the back of the couch, Jean reasoned, and it fell to the floor. Yes, Louise agreed, and in his haste to leave the note for Elise, and look around our house for whatever he's interested in, he forgot to retrieve his property. Jean suddenly giggled. Weird get-ups in this mystery. A ghost in black? And someone wearing a snake in his turban? By now, Sergeant Renly and another policeman had arrived. They took out fingerprinting equipment and lifted several samples of prints from the couch and a small table next to it. Sergeant Renly dropped the turban and the snake into a bag he carried, questioned Cora and the Danas, and then left. Almost immediately, the maid put on her coat and her hat and said goodbye. Jean laughed upon learning her aunt had suggested that Cora go home. Maybe this is the last we'll see of the dear old apple core at our house. She sure had a lot of scares lately, and she's one up on us. We haven't yet seen the ghost with the black robe. Let's hope we do soon, Louise said eagerly. It will give us a start to solving the mystery. Well, tomorrow we go to the museum, said Jean. I feel fine, really I do. I'd set off right now if fussy old doctor would let me. 
The three Danas had a quiet supper in Jean's bedroom, and all of them retired early. Later, they were awakened suddenly from a sound sleep by a terrific crash. The two sisters and their aunt hurriedly got out of bed and met in the hall. "'Something fell against the house!' Jean exclaimed. She and the others quickly put on their robes, slippers, and ran from their rooms to see if any of the walls had been damaged. They were not. "'Maybe it was a tree?' Aunt Harriet suggested. They looked from the windows, but saw no fallen tree. "'I'm going outside,' Jean declared. She grabbed a flashlight from the drawer in the hall table and dashed out the front door. Louise followed, but Miss Dana decided to stand guard inside, in case the noise had been a ruse to lure them out of the house. The other girls ran to the side of the house nearest the driveway. Suddenly, both stopped. A very tall ladder, reaching to an attic window, stood against the house. No one was on it. "'Maybe someone got in through the attic window,' Jean ventured. "'I'll stay here and see if anyone comes out,' Louise offered. "'Why don't you and Aunt Harriet see if there is an intruder in the house?' "'Okay.' Jean hurried back to the front hall, where Miss Dana still waited. Upon hearing her niece's suspicions, she started up the stairway with Jean. They investigated the second-floor rooms, but searching for an intruder in the attic was more than Miss Dana cared to risk. I'll telephone the police again, she added. This time, two different officers came. They could find no one hiding in the attic, but said that the window up there was unlocked. I fastened it, said one of them, who identified himself as Officer Brownwell. The policeman made a thorough search of the grounds and garage, but detected no sign of an intruder or any distinguishable footprints. "'Does this ladder belong to you?' Officer Gibbs asked. "'Yes,' Louise replied. "'It's an extension ladder we store in our garage.' "'Well,' Officer Gibbs responded, "'I'd say definitely someone intended to enter your house by the attic window. "'Your ladder was so heavy that when he leaned it against the building, "'it lost its grasp and the ladder fell against the house.' causing the loud noise which awakened you. He must have run away without climbing up. By the way, the policeman continued, Sergeant Renly says that all the fingerprints were left by the same person, but we aren't finding it on record. Officer Gibbs assured the Danas that he would stay near the house during the rest of the night in case the intruder should return. But morning came without incident, and the ladder was removed by Officer Gibbs and another officer who came in the car to pick him up. Cora arrived a little later, looking pale and shaky. The Danas decided to spare the young woman's feelings and did not tell her about the episode of the previous night. While the two sisters and their aunt were eating breakfast in the dining room, Cora answered a knock at the back door. The caller was Emile Gifford from Irving's Auto Repair Service. Hi, fancy seeing you again, the breezy young man said. You're Cora Apple from across town, aren't you? Cora looked questioningly at Emile Gifford. How do you know my name? she asked. I didn't tell you when you were here before. Why, you're famous in town. Don't you work for the Dana's Detective Service? he grinned mockingly. I work for the Dana family, said Cora, trying to appear dignified. I suppose you came about the car. 
Yep, I want to talk to Louise. She's busy, said Cora, and I don't like your manners. You don't, huh? Emile laughed. Well, see if I care about that. Go get Louise. He opened the door wider and entered the kitchen. Cora turned and walked into the dining room. That man from the repair place is here. He wants to see you, Miss Louise. Slightly amused at Cora's unusual formality, Louise left the kitchen and went to see Emile. As she entered the kitchen, he smiled. Hey there! Wish I had better news for you. The insurance adjuster was down to our place. They sure don't want to give you much money. What they'll pay won't begin to cover the expenses of fixing your car. What? Louise exclaimed. I didn't do that much damage. Oh, no? Emile Gifford laughed raucously. Women don't know beans about automobiles. I could fill a book telling you everything that's wrong. My advice to you is to scrap the old buggy. Louise gasped. She thought with a, st with a sinking sensation that she, and she alone, was responsible for what had happened. Furthermore, the Danas had spent so much money on their trip to the West that they could not possibly afford a new car at this time. I'm sorry, awfully sorry, said Emile. Now maybe you'll take me up on the offer. I told you it wouldn't cost you a nickel for me to taxi you around. How about it? Where do you want to go this morning? Louise simply stared at the mechanic. Nowhere, thank you, she replied curtly. If not today, how about... Emile was persistent. Louise thought him obnoxious. Please don't ask me again to go anywhere with you, she said firmly. Very kind offer, but I have other plans. Emile apparently was not offended, and he merely shrugged. As he opened the back door, the mechanic said, Like I told you before, if you change your mind, let me know. When she returned to the table, the conversation centered around the problem of the car. Let me think about this whole thing, said Aunt Harriet. You girls go on to the museum and start your sleuthing. Jean and Louise got their coats, then walked to the corner to catch the bus, which ran past the Hillary estate. They got off near the museum and hurried up the long, winding walk, which was bordered by oak and maple trees. Approaching the building, the sisters stopped and gazed in awe. The stone tiger, it's beautiful, Louise exclaimed, a real work of art. Chapter 5 Mongoose Attack As Louise and Jean gazed at the stone tiger, they decided it was one of the most beautiful pieces of sculpture they had ever seen. The beast was life-size, fashioned from snow-white, black-grained marble. It stood erect, with the head slightly tilted, as if the tiger were listening for sound of an approaching enemy. He's gorgeous, Jean exclaimed, and he must weigh a ton. Louise nodded as her eyes traveled downward to the attractive ebony pedestal upon which the animal was mounted. That tiger is perfect at the entrance of this handsome museum, she remarked. It certainly is, Jean agreed. What a shame that Mr. Hillary never saw the Maharaja's gift to him. Louise, I'm pretty sure of this one thing about the mystery connected to the museum. Nobody plans to steal the stone tiger. He's much too heavy. Unless, of course, said Louise, people had a long time in which to hoist him onto a truck. 
Keith Bartlett said that the police patrols go past here about every half hour, so there wouldn't be much chance for a thief to take off with the tiger. Which means, said Jean, that the cause of the mystery must be inside the museum. Let's go in and see if the curator can shed any light on it, Louise urged. The sisters mounted the wide steps into the portico of the stately old Georgian mansion. Louise rang the bell. After a long time, the door was opened by a rather short man about 50 years old. He was slightly overweight, but rugged, look, but rugged looking, with reddish crew-cut hair. He smiled and held the door wide. Won't you come in? Thank you, Louise paid the admission fee. I'm the curator here. My name's Patrick Pryor. Will you please register? Mr. Pryor led the Danas into the spacious center hall with oak-paneled walls. On a table next to a telephone lay a guest book and a pen. The girls noticed that Mr. Pryor walked with a decided limp. As the sisters signed the book, the curator said, I'm not busy. I'll be glad to show you around. Fine, thank you, Louise smiled. Mr. Pryor looked at the girls quizzically and asked, Do you by any chance belong to the Dana family, the Hillary's know? Yes, Louise answered. Our families have been friends for years. Then you're the girls who can solve the mystery, Mr. Pryor said, beaming. I certainly wish you'd solve the mystery of this museum. Jean laughed. That's one reason we're here, she explained. We'd like to start right now and would appreciate any help you can give us. Mr. Pryor sighed. I wish I could, but Elise and I haven't figured anything out. He led the way into a small parlor to the right of the hall. Each wall contained a series of shelves on which stood the smaller animals that Mr. Hillary had shot or trapped in India. Among them were exquisitely colored parrots, several mongooses, and wild dogs. They look so lifelike. They're scary, Jean remarked. Mr. Pryor laughed. I sometimes wish they were. They might be able to nab the person who sneaked in here secretly at night over a week ago. Was anything taken? Louise asked the curator quickly. No, I figured the sneak didn't find what he was looking for, but glass display cases were forced open. Do you think, Jean spoke up, that the intruder was the black-robed ghost who has been seen scaring people around town? I suppose he could have been, Mr. Pryor said. He next led the way across the hall to a very large room on the far side. As the sisters entered it, they gasped in astonishment. In the center of the floor stood several huge display cases. One contained a fine specimen of a water buffalo. Another held a rhinoceros, just rising out of lucid water. In a third stood a half-grown elephant, with its trunk raised into the air. With a note of pride in his voice, Mr. Pryor said, I helped collect all these animals. I used to track through the jungle with Mr. Hillary. Unfortunately, a hunter's stray bullet got me in the knee. The injury caused me to end my safari days. That's too bad, said Louise. You certainly did your part in providing this fine collection of jungle animals. The curator led the way down one side of the room, up the other. In their tour, the girls passed a wolf, a striped hyena, and several yellow tigers. 
Mr. Hillary was especially fond of tigers, said Mr. Pryor. Contrary to what most people think, these animals are great cowards. There are many old legends about cunning men getting the better of them. One of the sports of ancient Indian princess was to pit tigers against bulls and buffaloes, which the cats feared. They knew the tigers would make every effort to keep out of the antagonist's way, and to the onlookers, this was great sport. Are there actually any white tigers? Jean asked. We think the statue in front of the museum is marvelous. Mr. Pryor said that one area of India, the wide forest of Rewa, near the city of Allahabad and Mizapur, is the breeding ground of white tigers. They are the rarest of all the cat family, he explained. Their coats are eggshell white and their eyes ice blue. With their black stripes, these beasts are striking indeed. The curator went on to say that to him it seemed strange that lions, griffins, monkeys, and elephants are often depicted in Indian art, but rarely tigers. This may be because this animal is considered the symbol of cowardice, said Mr. Pryor. There's one legend I particularly like. It's about a mouse deer being chased by a tiger, and he was running off. The mouse deer stopped to eat berries and thus made his mouth very red. Finally, knowing that he could not outdistance the tiger because he was tiring rapidly, the mouse deer sat down by a well. As the tiger overtook him and crouched to attack, the mouse deer said, Watch out! I have killed many tigers, and the beast confronted him, gazed at the mouse deer's mouth, and thought the redness was blood. However, he waved so to the mouse deer and said, If you don't believe me, look into the well. When the tiger gazed down into the water, he saw a reflection of himself, but thought it was the head of a tiger the mouse deer had killed. Like a coward, he ran away as fast as he could. Louise and Jean laughed, and Louise said, I love some of those old legends. They certainly do illustrate characters' traits in people and animals, such as shrewdness and timidity. As the girls walked on, they looked from shelf to shelf filled with many other wild animals. There were doles, a ferocious kind of wild dog, and several more specimens of mongoose. Suddenly, Jean cried out, Look out, Louise! At that moment, an animal from one of the shells above Louise's head plummeted directly towards her. Just in the nick of time, Jean pulled her sister to safety. A stuffed mongoose on its heavy pedestal landed at Louise's feet. I'm sorry, said Mr. Pryor. I thought all the animals were secure. This one didn't move by itself, Jean declared. I saw a human hand throw that mongoose down here. She dashed from the room and into the hall. Jean looked up the stairway, half expecting to see someone there, whoever she had seen reaching through the paneled wall, but no one was in sight. By the time Louise and Mr. Pryor had reached her side, someone else is in the building, Jean insisted. The Danas, noting that the landing on the stairway was in line with the display room shelf from which the mongoose had been thrown, hurried up the steps and began to examine the panels. One of these may be movable and reveal a closet or a secret stairway, 
Jean declared. Excitedly, the two girls and Mr. Pryor tapped, pushed, and pulled at the various panels on the landing. None would move. Perhaps there's some secret device or a combination of two panels, Louise suggested. First, the sisters tried pushing against two panels at a time. This did not work. Next, they began pressing alternate sections at the same time. Suddenly, Jean found the combination. 